again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 359. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 359. Today is the fifth anniversary of the Slow Flowers podcast, and I thank you for tuning in. This has been a year of highlights in so many ways, as the Slow Flowers message and manifesto continue to resonate, not to mention build momentum as an authentic, relatable, and legitimate topic in the floral industry. In five years since my first episode number 100 aired on June 23rd, 2013, the Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 340,000 times by listeners who have enjoyed 260 unique episodes. The Slow Flowers podcast was recently recognized with a Silver Media Award from GWA, the Association for Garden Communicators, a group of my professional peers in green industry journalism. The American Horticultural Society recently honored me with the Francis Jones Poker Award for significant contributions to floral design in publications on the platform and to the public. And this podcast is a big part of that platform. And we've just wrapped up the fourth annual American Flowers Week, the original domestic floral promotion holiday, as well as a very successful Slow Flowers Summit, which was held in Washington, D.C. during the heart of American Flowers Week. So thank you all for joining me on this journey of advocacy and outreach as I shout aloud the message and importance of domestic, seasonal, local, and sustainable flowers and the people who grow and design with them. Five years ago, in late June 2013, I was on location in Ashland, Oregon, working with James Baggett, then my editor of Country Gardens Magazine, and photographers Lori Black and Mark King. We were there to produce a farm-to-table story in Oregon's wine country. The trip enabled me to reconnect with Joan Thorndike of La Mera Gardens, a generous and brilliant flower farmer who is featured in the pages of the 50 Mile Bouquet. Joan's flowers adorned the table of that winery dinner that we documented, and she welcomed James and me to visit her flower fields while we were there. I enjoyed Joan's hospitality further because she invited me to stay at her family home. That's when I met her husband, Dan, and one of their two daughters, Camila. Joan wanted to show me the Ashland Farmer's Market, and she suggested we walk through the urban woods along a local nature trail to reach the center of town. That's when I asked if I could bring along my digital recorder and tape a segment from my brand new podcast. She gamely said yes. 
You can actually hear audio of our footsteps and breathing as we briskly walked to town on that episode. We discussed local flowers, the Rogue River Valley's sustainable agriculture scene, Joan's own commitment to organic flowers, and the origins and growth of La Mera Gardens. 380 people downloaded that original episode, and I hope listened to it. From that seed of a beginning, the Slow Flowers podcast has grown by leaps and bounds. Today, we typically have more than 2,000 listeners per episode, and that means more of you around the globe are hearing the message, absorbing the wisdom, and being inspired by the people behind the flowers, people like Joan Thorndike. Today, in recognition of her role in educating and influencing me and my work, I have invited Joan as a return guest to talk about all things local in floral design and floral agriculture. I want to expose her story to a much larger audience than those who heard our conversation five years ago. And how wonderful to add a bonus guest. Isabella Thorndike Church, Joan and Dan's daughter and Camila's sister, who is now co-farming with Joan at La Mera Gardens, as well as leading her own studio called Jack Lilly Seasonal Floral Design. Here's a little bit more about these women. Joan has been farming fresh cut flowers in Southern Oregon's Rogue River Valley since 1992. She was born and raised in Santiago, Chile, where flowers come in huge bundles, small posies, and fresh abundance. In 2001, La Mera Gardens and Fry Family Farms joined their worlds of flower farming, and they've settled into growing and harvesting an ever-expanding array of specialty cut flowers on 10 acres of open fields and greenhouses. La Mera Gardens is featured in the groundbreaking book, The 50 Mile Bouquet, and is a proud charter member of the Slow Flowers Movement, celebrating American-grown local flowers. Joan credits her formal education in commercial flower growing to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, its research publications, regional and national conferences, and to the writings of author and professor of horticulture, Dr. Alan M. Armitage. La Mera Gardens is a charter member of Thrive, which is home of the Rogue Flavor trademark, and is an online member of Local Harvest. Joan's two daughters, Camila and Isabella, spent their childhood summers seeking shade from 90 to 100 degree weather on the flower farm. Her husband Dan has been known to moonlight carrying flats of plants and to provide La Mera Gardens with many an odd shaped metal structure generously built by Medford Fabrication, his family's metal fabrication business. La Mera's fields, season extending hoop houses and propagation greenhouses are located in Talent, Phoenix and Northwest Medford, Oregon. All are managed and cultivated under or Oregon Tilth Certified Organic, Bee Friendly, and Salmon Safe Farming Practices. La Mera Gardens employs dozens of women and men who live in the immediate community. They seed, transplant, cultivate, and harvest La Mera's flowers year after year. As Joan writes on her website, La Mera Gardens is grateful for the loyal patronage of its Rogue Valley customers, most especially of area florist designers and bridal parties. Their support allows La Mera to manage, preserve, and protect Rogue River Valley's beautiful agricultural lands. Joan's daughter, Isabella Thorndike Church, is the owner and lead designer of Jack Lilly Seasonal Floral Design. Jack Lilly is a fine art floral studio located in the rolling hills of southern Oregon's Rogue Valley. 
Working with fresh, locally grown, and consciously sourced material, Jack Lilly creates lush designs. And as Isabella writes on her website, everything I do begins in the field. There, the colors and textures of the Rogue Valley arrange themselves according to the season. I believe that local seasonal flowers that are grown without pesticides or chemical fertilizers are healthy for us and for the earth. The flowers at your wedding or event should be as unique as you are. From bridal bouquets to full wedding or event design, the locally grown materials I work with are carefully selected and arranged to bring your floral vision to life. She ends by declaring floral design is an agricultural act. I like that. I haven't heard that before. I know you'll love meeting this mom and daughter duo as much as I have. Please visit DebraPrinzing.com for episode 359 to see photos of Joan and Isabella, their flowers, and the beautiful place where they grow and design. I'll also share links to their social places. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited to have today's episode because it is our fifth anniversary episode. I can't believe this podcast has had a vibrant life for five entire years, and today my very special guest is a return guest, Joan Thorndike of Lamera Gardens. And Joan, you were my very first guest back in 2013. I can't even believe that. Hi, Joan. Hi, Deborah. I can't believe it either. <laughs> I remember so clearly you being here, and it's just hard to believe it's been five years. Right, and I really didn't know what I was doing. I had this digital recorder. I had done one other interview with um, um, like a consumer marketing expert, and I thought, oh, that was too short. I better add another guest, and we were together at your place in Ashland, and... um, we were going to walk to the farmer's market or something. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Joan, can I just bring my recorder? So like we're panting and we're, we're, you know, <laughs> people are greeting you. <laughs> oh, it's really fun. Yeah, what, it was. Well, um, we also have a bonus guest and that is Isabella Thorndike Church of Jack Lilly Seasonal Floral Design. And you hear the name Thorndike in both of these ladies' names. So hi, Isabella. Hello. Hi. Tell, tell us uh, a little bit about your relationship to Joan. Well, she is the boss mama, meaning she's <laughs> my mama and also the boss. <laughs> I um, work for her for La Mary Gardens and also run my own business, as you said, Jacqueline Seasonal Floral Design. I'm so glad that you, you both could be on the line. I've known Joan for many years and I've gotten to know Isabella through a few other independent projects, uh, including most recently the Whidbey Flower Workshop, which was epic. And you were very involved with that as a kind of a, I guess, a staff person, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or as Joseph Massey called me, a scaff rat. <laughs> Apparently, is a term of endearment, as we learned. You mean you mean the person who got up on the scaffolding? Is that what a scaff rat is? That's what I hear. Yes. <laughs> I, you know what? I looked through my photos to see if I had a photo of you on a, on the scaffolding, and I couldn't find anything. So, if you have one, send it over, and we'll share it in the show notes. <laughs> okay, I wish I did too, but I I don't think I do. But there is a photo of us assistants with Carly and myself with Joseph. Which oh, might be- oh, fun. Cool. That's fun. Okay, cool. Well, I wanted to have both of you on because I I never gave Joan um, a full airing of her story on the podcast just because, as I said, we were kind of just chatting and whatever we talked about was wonderful, but it wasn't a complete snapshot. And then 
I feel like uh, Isabella, you represent the next the next wave of um, slow flowers minded folks, and to having this sort of legacy of growing up with a flower farming family, it's just a really neat series of dots to connect and kind of give people a full picture of what's where we've come from and and where we're heading. Um, so Joan, just give us a, a, a picture of La Mera Gardens and I mean, you do so many things. I don't even know how you, I can do this with you in 45 minutes. So you're, you've got your, your farm is involved in so many amazing projects, but t- tell us where you are located and kind of what your primary focus is as a flower farmer. Um, this is my 26th season farming flowers. Um, I started on one plot that was an acre and a third and uh, fast forward 26 years I'm in a um, I'm on a very diversified farm uh, that includes my partners grow produce and um, plant starts and flowers uh, on we have about 10 acres of flowers distributed between four farm sites which include one nursery um, and a farm that has primarily high tunnels and then um, two open fields. Right, yeah. You toured me through a few of those when I was there five years ago, but I'm sure it's ever-changing. Yes, it is ever-changing. And I think that what makes it ever-changing is the human factor. (laughs) Um, And it's... uh, the, the human factor, meaning the availability or at this point in our history, the no availability of labor. Right. And you're in, so you're in Southern Oregon. I always say Ashland, but your talent yeah. is the actual address of La Mara Gardens, yeah. right? Yes. And there's... Mm-hmm. And we do, oh, excuse me. We do have a big field in Ashland. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And so it's it's valid to say Ashland, but we also have a large field in Medford and a medium-sized field in Phoenix and a nursery in Talent. So we cover those urban areas, and we're definitely urban farmers. Well, and, and traditionally on this labor question, um, were you hiring seasonal workers who um, maybe were employed across a lot of areas of agriculture? Because I know it's a big wine country um, agriculture as well, right? Vineyards and all. Yes. I mean, traditionally, this valley has actually been orchards. Oh, okay. Um, Southern Oregon was, the area was the largest area growing pears in the world. Uh, This is the home of Harry and David. And um, this is where pear orchards started. And when I started growing flowers, I was definitely an oddity <laughs> and, and an oddity on many fronts. But one of them was finding help in terms of um, extension services help. You know, if mm-hmm. you had a virus on the plants, what to do. The virus had better been related to pears somehow. Otherwise, nobody could help you. Right. Um, and and then pears went out because pears could be grown in Chile and stored in uh, very uh, fine-tuned refrigeration, and that affected the pear orchards here. And then the grapes came in. Mm. That was our first green wave. Was the the coming in of of grapevines, and that has grown and grown and grown. Uh, but at the same time, uh, so has flower growing. So that 
came out of the woods and, and is now, there's, there's a peppering of small flower farms in the valley too. Mm. And then two years ago, we got hit by the next green wave, which was growing pot and hemp. Right. It's, it's huge here, huge. And, and going back to the question of labor, um, labor trimming for pot grower growers starts at twenty dollars an hour. Wow, wow! So and, and that what, dried up our source. Yeah, what are, I mean, what is what had you been paying in in flower harvesting? We always start with minimum wage mm-hmm. because we've had people working for fifteen years, and you have to create a, a gap, a difference between people who've worked for fifteen years and those who are just coming in. Sure. Um, but when you have an offering of $20 an hour in other areas of agriculture, it raises the bar in a very artificial way. And, and <laughs> Right, you're not is, necessarily getting skilled labor. You're just competing right. against this other universe. That, the, so a money, just diff- a, a money factor. Yeah. But in any case, we, it's always been a part-time, not part-time, seasonal labor. And seasonal labor has its own... Uh, difficulties and, you know, pluses and minuses. And there's a lot of seasonal labor here, or traditionally there was, because we have a ski area too. Mm. So even I, I farmed flowers two-thirds of the year, and the other third of the year I worked on Mount Ashland um, Mm. in the ski area. So it was kind of a natural, Mm -hmm. but now there's nothing natural. Now it's all a little topsy-turvy and very difficult. Right. And then um, we hire a lot of Mexicans who Mm. are now in their third generation of in the family working with us and uh, their lives are very tenuous now so we don't under the current political um, environment and so we used to have kind of an automatic refeeding of the our labor pool our own labor pool of this same family which includes grandparents uncles, aunts, nieces, nephews, sons, grandchildren. Um, But now the relatives, the older relatives go back to Mexico to end their life in retirement there Mm -hmm. in their Mm -hmm. communities. And it used to be then the young generation would move up, but the young generation is not coming anymore. Right. So we've gone, I've gone from having three field workers constantly maintaining all the fields to zero. Wow. So are you, and I know you co-farm with, um, with the fries. Su- Susie and Steve Fry, who are really cool, fun people too. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> does that shared labor help or is it a it's problem? All our, all our labor is shared. Yeah. So we could say that I had three people tending the fields, but they didn't tend, those three men weren't tending the four fields um, every day, I could have them maybe two days a week, but that's fantastic. Three men, two days a week. <laughs> you can get a lot done. <laughs> fields. The, I mean, they were fantastic. They were mowed, and, and you could say, I need this whole row of willows cut down. They would do it. Now there's nobody, wow. nobody. So wow. you're climbing over weeds, and it's already a scene because we are certified organic growers. So you, you have to be judicious about where you put labor in the fields. You always attack an area that's going to be harvested within the next few days so you get it ready. You know, the guys would go and, and weed and prune and cut so that we as 
harvesters could come through and just train our eyes to look for the right flowers and keep moving and not be obstructed by potholes and grass that was too tall and so on. But you pay no attention to the crops that have already finished. They will deal with those in in the fall. Well, now it looks like all the fields are ready for the fall. (laughs) So you have, you've had to kind of adjust and make these series of choices, but you, you alluded to the organic certification. That is a kind of a different, another variable in this whole mix because you're not going to spray or um, use Roundup or, you know, whatever that might be an easier solution, right? Yes, it would be easier, but unthinkable for us. I mean, in my whole farming career, I've never thought of Roundup as a solution. (laughs) I've always always described you to people, Joan, as like the first certified organic flower farm in in Oregon that I I mean, I think... (laughs) I think you must have been kind of way out there in front of the the curve in terms of saying, I want to be certified organic. How did that come about? Well, the certification came much later. Okay. The practice started from the get-go because I, um, I needed a job, but I wanted a job where I could not park my children in childcare. And just very coincidentally, I was invited to work on a very, very tiny farm where I took my girls, who were two and five at the, no, Mm. two and four. Mm -hmm. And then Isabella was two and Camila was four. And then that lasted for a year. And then I eventually moved to a real farm to manage that farm and took my girls with me. They were three and five by then. And if they were going to run around on the field all day long, every flower farmer who is listening to you knows that we work odd hours and all hours. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And my husband had um, a, a fairly intense practice at the time. And so it was unthinkable that he would be able to look after the children. He did on the weekends when I went back to the farm. Right. But... Uh, But during the week, that was impossible. And so it was very clear to me that they they couldn't be exposed to stuff I wasn't, I wouldn't want myself exposed to. And then I had one employee, and she had a two-year-old. And I have wonderful photos of Dana tilling with our little rototiller and her baby asleep on her back. (laughs) (laughs) So, so So yeah, so Isabella, you are... um, a grown up now and you have you're married and you have your own business but do you remember those days uh, i'm sure you do maybe not back to age 2 but you grew up being a flower farmer in in a different kind of way right oh i definitely remember yes absolutely <laughs> did you hate it at some point <laughs> yes <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so how did this all happen that you're back co-farming with your mom and running your own design studio? T- tell us a little bit about Jack Lilly's seasonal floral design and and how that came to be. I, I just, I love your work and I, just, I guess I don't really know how you ended up doing what you're doing now. Um, yes. Well, the long story, I guess, is that I started designing in high school pretty randomly my mom was delivering to a flower shop one day and something had happened to one of their employees and they had a big wedding and they were scrambling and so she called me up on the phone and said what are you doing do you have time come down here they need you um (laughs) I went down and I set straight to work on doing some big wedding arrangements which I had never done before 
And apparently I passed because they then offered me a job. <laughs> and I worked there for several years um, through my last couple years of high school while also working at the farm. And I think that's, I never really chose to be a floral designer, I suppose I should say. It just kind of happened. Um, and then that continued to be the just kind of happening choice um, from when I, after college, when I had a, a respite from the design bit, but every summer I did come back and work on the farm. I moved to Vermont on a bit of a whim and I thought to myself, hmm, I need a job, what can I do? And the um, Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers um, has a list of growers and Judy Lashman very kindly sent me a um, list of Vermont farmers who I could contact, which I did. And it was the kind of an awkward timing end of the season. And I went to meet um, Dee Dee, who is of Stray Cat Flower Farm in Burlington. And she's used to be the Northeast uh, head of the ASCFG. Mm -hmm. And I went to meet her and kind of similarly to what happened to my other job, I was supposed to, you know, meet her and see if I could come on the next season. And I pretty much went straight to work for the next couple months, wrapping up that season and then started again in the spring. And that was great for me. It was a small scale farming and designing job. So I got to do a little bit of both. And the small scale was also great because I'm a little bit OCD and I'd never been able to control our farm before. <laughs> it's so big. And so I loved getting to really whip that little acre and a half into shape and be really, really anal about weeds and all kinds of other things. And also did some design mostly for farmers markets and grocery stores there. And then when Jem, my husband and I decided to move back here before we were married, um, kind of to have an opportunity to be closer to my family since we've been living near his in Vermont. I was excited to be able to work with my mom again, having had more farming experience, different farming experience, and come back with a my own kind of fresh set of eyes to our home farm. Mm -hmm. um, I also was going to miss design, and I'm not much of an indoor person, so working at a flower shop wasn't really my speed. And I also feel pretty strongly design aesthetic wise about um, seasonal flowers and don't really have much inspiration or interest in working with non-seasonal flowers. And so I thought that, okay, I guess I have to start my own business and doing events is kind of a perfect mix because I can work a steady schedule at the farm and then also have weekends to do events. So that's kind of how that started. When was that? When did you go uh, start Jack Lily? It was a couple seasons ago, right? Yeah. So I'm in our third summer on the farm. So, and slash, I guess back here is what I mean by that. Uh -huh. We moved October of 2015 and I started that first summer and just slowly, I, I'm also not much of a marketer. Um, and so, but gratefully I have lots of contacts here and because of La Mera's DIY wedding business, it was kind of a natural fit 
for me to be able to offer kind of small scale design services doing just the personal. So bridal bouquets and um, corsages, boutonnieres, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of how it started slowly with that. And then I did one wedding show and basically made the goal of connecting with other people in the industry locally. And because there's so much, there's lots of competition and there's lots of ways to market now with social media and technology. Um, but those don't come extremely naturally to me. And so I still believe that no matter how much, uh, you market online that word of mouth is still going to be the strongest way to get a job. Yeah. And so I, I need to meet people who can vouch for me and that's going to be the best way to grow my business. But I haven't, because it's not my only bread and butter because I do have the, the constant work on the farm. I don't need to worry about having an event every weekend and having it be year round. Um, it's in a way, so, it sounds like you can kind of, um, you can kind of pick and choose projects that resonate with you or the right clients yeah. come along. It's allowed me to grow it slowly. And I've also, I feel strongly that I do my best work for people whose aesthetics match mine. And I, I have no need to be something that I'm not. And there are so many great designers in this area that I'm more than happy to pass clients off to if I feel like I'm not the right fit. Yeah. And because right. I don't need take every job because I'm busy enough as it is, um, that has allowed me the, the ability to really create a brand that I feel good about and that I want people to come to me because of my style, um, which allows me to stay inspired um, and not force myself into boxes that I don't fit in yeah. and vice versa. Well, you're cut from the right cloth, I tell you, because your mother is definitely an, <laughs> an iconoclast. And <laughs> Joan, um, uh, Isabella referred to the wedding, DIY wedding facet of La Mera Gardens. So maybe we should talk about that and then how the two of you kind of um, dovetail your, your wedding-specific work um, to not, I guess, not compete, but, but to enhance. I, I don't know how that works. But Joan, for how many years have you been doing the the, the the bridal, the brides get to come and shop at La Mera Gardens. How long has that been going on? Uh, pretty much from the start. Wow. I mean, when I started, there was, uh, it was all new. It was both new to me and new to the valley. Mm. Um, and I think new to farming in the U.S. in general, that um, growing flowers for the lo your local market and um, and hustling to, to find what that market is and, and who is it and who's going to buy your flowers. I mean, I think so many of us love to grow things, but the most important, important lesson I learned from the ASCFG, which I joined right away, um, so as not to feel so lonely, was uh, who are you going to sell that to? Right. It's very nice that you planted a cucumber, but who are you going to sell it to? So always being a few steps ahead and I discovered to my great surprise that I loved selling flowers. And just anybody who stood in front of me for long enough, I was going to ask them if they wanted flowers. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I had this determination that I had to somehow, what a, what a very, um, I don't know, almost obnoxious thing to think, but I had to change the culture about mm -hmm. flowers. Mm -hmm. That it seemed to me, I mean, I was new to the United States that, uh, flowers had 
were sort of like a Hallmark card. They were attached to a particular holiday and and were not an everyday thing. Um, so how do you get flowers into people's hands as soul food, not just not just a luxury? And that's it's a long road to get there, to get to a place where you can teach people that one flower, just one that you picked out of your garden or a friend's garden or a planter box and you bring it into your home is bringing life into your home. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in the in the effort of selling flowers, I, I did inherit, I was very fortunate, I inherited the florist business. I mean, our farm has a funny name because it existed before a man had started it and then became disenchanted, but he was way ahead of his time because he was the first person who decided to grow flowers um, in, in, the, in the valley southern, in southern Oregon. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then um, then I took over from him, but the name of the farm is the the it's the joining of his name and his wife's name. Mm. And I remember when I started working on the farm that I thought, well, the first thing we're doing is changing this name. <laughs> now, <laughs> what does it mean? How do you spell it? How do you get it in the phone book? Because, you know, at that time, <laughs> how you got your name out was in the phone book or advertising. Right. And if you spelt it L-A or L-E and not L-E, which is the correct thing, then nobody could find you in the phone book because it had moved down or up or something. Right, anyway. right. Um, so I sold to the flower shops and they already recognized the name, so couldn't change it. But that left me still with lots of flowers. And so I started inviting, just by word of mouth, people would say, oh, you have flowers, you know, my niece is getting married or something. Then I would invite them down to my farm, which was a very pretty farm. And um, people, I would walk the fields with them and they would say, I like this and I like this and I like this. And um, and that I really loved that to do that with people because they had never stepped on a farm and it, it just took on a whole different spirit and in a big way addressed my, my desire, excuse me, to change the culture of flowers, mm-hmm. to 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 teach people where they come from yeah. and that they grow in the dirt, you know, but it also made it so it had to be. Uh, people had to choose their flowers for that week. There was no point in my walking them through the field and saying, oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to have that in a month's time. Right. right. You couldn't be deceptive. So, And that has remained the same. I don't walk people through the fields anymore. They come to, it's all consolidated onto our refrigerated flower truck, but it's still the same idea. They come on the week of the wedding. They choose their flowers. That's as close as I can get them to a farm. Um, but it's a it's a very very rich experience, and over the years it's grown to where pretty much forty percent of my business, forty to fifty percent, is still wholesaling to the flower shops, and the other the balance of it is primarily to special events, of which a large chunk is weddings. Um, the race to find those customers has also evolved. I think that as much as I complain now about having to stay on top of social media (laughs) in all its permutations from blogging to Facebook postings to Instagram, uh, et cetera, et cetera, you know, Twitter, which I refuse to do, Pinterest, (laughs) I refuse to do. Um, 
it you do you it's in your hands it's in your control and those first 10 15 years i surrendered hard earned money to somebody a person an organization a magazine whatever it was to find those customers for me and honestly it it was very random and with a hard very difficult to measure you mean like traditional print advertising, that yes, sort of thing, right? traditional print advertising, or if you wanted to get into a radio spot or something. And if it, at the end of the day, what I realized, no, it's word of mouth. Yep. So word of mouth goes back to what is the word of mouth you want to pass on? Well, the word of mouth I wanted to pass on is that flowers that are grown right here hit a nerve, Um that if you have locally grown flowers at your wedding, in years to come, you will see those flowers around town or in fields, and you will be reminded mm-hmm. that, that when you got married. I, I needed to get to the emotive part mm-hmm. of people, you know. And then in terms of the florists, it's much easier for them to order from their traditional wholesalers. They look at the availability list, it'll show up from someplace. They don't need to know that it was grown in Nigeria, shipped to the flower market in Holland, and then came in through customs in Miami, et cetera, et cetera. They don't need to know all that. The important thing is it shows up on their doorstep. So my job is to to make it a tactile experience. Yes, you can have that stuff in your box, but look at this. And yes, it comes with frustration. The delphinium this week are three feet tall. They might not be in two weeks. Right. Because... The season is changing, but I've had the same florist customers almost the whole time I've been doing this, and that speaks so highly of them um, because they've kept me in business, and it speaks highly of their ability to evolve and to accept seasonal. And Joan, you're speaking of both retail florists and um, studio florists, right? Yes, I am. But I'm primarily speaking of retail florists, of people brick and mortar, keeping the doors open. Yeah. We have 11 flower shops in a very small area. That blew my mind when you told me that. So what's the greater population, like Southern Oregon? Is it kind of um, like a million people or something like that? No. Not, yeah, I would say 250,000, 300,000. Wow. Wow. So, you know, that also then says Southern Oregon cares about flowers. Yeah, you have changed the culture, Joan. <laughs> I think we've all done it together, but but it's very satisfying. And, and to have been in it long enough to see it change and realize, okay, keep pushing, keep pushing. You know, I remember going into supermarkets, um, big chain supermarkets like Safeway mm-hmm. and saying, will you carry local flowers? Of course, they have to be fantastic local flowers. They have to be the best because I'm competing. You know, I'm constantly in competition. With and dyed purple carnations. Right. With past six months. <laughs> and <laughs> so, like like totally, uh, you, you get stuck competing on price, which you didn't want to do either, right? Right. Yeah. And I'm not going to sell flowers on concession. Ever, mm-hmm. by the way, it, to any starting grower, don't do it. <laughs> um, and I realized that flowers had to be an impulse shopping in a supermarket. 
So negotiating with, with Safeway, well, can you have a, a top-notch flower department, which includes local flowers, and, and really, will you take the risk with me? But will you also put a few bunches? I'll wrap them nicely for you. Will you put them by the cash register? Mm-hmm. And and you and just convincing them to do that, you know. And and I did convince one large Safeway in Medford to do it. And uh, there's another thing I learned hard school hard hard knocks was. I would load my girls into their the shopping cart along with the flowers. We'd go <laughs> in, <laughs> we'd sell, you know, $100 at that time over 20 years ago. That was a lot. And then the floral department did so well, became so successful that the florist was moved to the Las Vegas store. Mm. And I lost my customer. You lost your advocate. I lost my advocate. I lost the supermarket yeah. because... The supermarket really didn't want to do this thing. They wanted to every everything out of headquarters in Texas. They just were willing to bend the rules because she, this woman, was so good, and was willing to take the risk with me. But that was another lesson, you know. Diversify your market. Be know all the time that there's a chance even your biggest buyer, your biggest flower shop, your biggest whatever it is. We'll go away one day. Be so, ready for the next one. So um, I want to jump over to Isabella, but before I do, uh, Joan, are you selling to grocery at all anymore? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. You're doing... But now they're no longer... The big chains just won't buy from us. Okay. Um, and even if you'll have a, a florist in the moment that um, is interested, it's very hard for him or her to get support, except... So, so here's we, we sell to family-run supermarkets. We, so we have in this area we have a, a co-op that buys a lot of flowers and a large type warehouse type grocery store. They buy they're steady buyers, and then there's a chain in Oregon called Market of Choice, and they buy from us, which was a coup. It, it took a lot of negotiating with them, but they buy from us, and they're very good buyers. And now uh, we actually ship once a week to New Seasons Markets, which is based out of Portland. I thought I had heard you were you were providing to New Seasons. That's a, that's great. So that's back to your diversification. You you're pursuing multiple outlets that that understand La Mera and that value seasonal and local and Oregon grown and. But you do have to sell that idea and right. be connecting, and you have to be super um, responsive mm-hmm. to everybody's needs, whether they're bridal party or they're florist or they're supermarket. I do, Deborah. Before I go any further, I do want to explain that we're branded. We because we're big, um, we have stuck to a method of branding um, where where mixed bouquets. Well, let me back up a little bit. I, from the very start, wanted to make it clear I'm not a designer because I didn't want to compete with my own florists. Right. So I refused to learn how to make a boutonniere, and I still don't know how to make it. Well, luckily luckily you have Isabella to teach you if you need one. (laughs) No, to do it. I don't want to learn it. So so even um, making bouquets was crossing a funny line 
But I did make bouquets for the grocery stores I sold to when I was little, you know, for the first 10 years of of farming. And it wasn't my favorite thing to do. And I noticed that I always left bouquet making for the end of the day. Mm. Um, But these supermarkets that were willing to buy from me, it was good bread and butter for me to do that. And then when I joined with the fries... We decided that all bouquet making would be labeled Fry Family Farm. So uh, everything that goes to the grocery stores and to the farmers markets goes under the uh, the label of Fry Family, and then everything wholesale is La Mera. And it took the florists a little bit of understanding or whether they cared. Okay, so now you have a bigger farm, and we can tell because your offerings are so much bigger, so much better. So the quality is better, the diversity is greater, but it's not your farm completely. And then sort of, okay, never mind. Right. I think that is so smart. I know that there have been a number of small specialty flower, uh, cut flower growers that I've interviewed and heard about who have actually rebrand, kept their farm name for the wholesale, but like done a design studio brand for... The, the more the higher end, you know, even wedding and event business, just because of perception. And it sounds like you're kind of using that tool in the same way. It's per, it's it's for perception, yeah. and also because when you're, I mean, we're small by by agribusiness measure, but we're big by a highly diversified farm, and. Um, and that comes with chaos, by the way. <laughs> Don't anybody right. think it's orderly? But it's um, I. I think it is important for people to know who to turn to, and where. And branding ourselves that way makes it easier that people from the market know. Okay, the the flowers that I buy at market also come with the vegetables. Right. But. At the market, the girls that work the market or the boys get approached by people, oh, I'm going to get married, you know, next year in June. Can I have your flowers? Those people work in the market are very busy and they could spend 15 minutes going over what might be available next week and next year. But it's easier for them to just hand them my card and say, look, this this card belongs to a person who works with us on our farm, but she's entirely dedicated to wedding flowers. And when that you, takes yeah. two. And when you say and market, you mean farmer's market, right? Farmer's market. Okay, yes, sorry to me. Yeah. Yes, no, excuse me. When yeah. they're at the farmer's market and it's busy, instead of stopping what you're doing to try to explain something they actually have no idea about, right? it's much easier to just hand my card out. And the supermarkets do it too. People come to them and say, gosh, we see these flowers coming in every week. Can can I get them for my wedding? They too say, call this person. Start <laughs> the flyer. And and I think that that keeps the lines cleaner. Yep. And and it means that Susie Fry can talk about her bouquets. I can talk about her bouquets too, because my crossover goes in that direction. But nobody else needs to know the minutiae and the intricacies, except for Isabella, who picks right alongside me, um, about how we deal with florists and how we deal with weddings, because there, there's much more hand-holding there. Right. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, people are handing La Mera Gardens uh, card to kind of the DIY customer, but then you turn around and hand the Jack Lilly seasonal floral design card to the 
people who are, for whom maybe DIY is just a little bit beyond them, but they love the flow. I mean, how does that work? I mean, it, I, I wanted to yeah. talk about how you guys dovetail a little bit. I do want to go back really quickly because I think there is an important point that um, has to do with the grades of flowers that we pick for different for different purposes. And I think it's a good lesson for other farmers, too, to see opportunity in a crop. And you can completely cut this out if it's not applicable. No, I want to hear it. Um, but when you look at a crop, every flower is not going to be the same and therefore does not have the same economic value. And so the way that our farm works, I think, is wonderful and really takes advantage of that fact because I, who pick for La Mer Gardens, I get to a crop first and I cherry pick the very best that's going to go to our florists and to our designers and bridal parties. And then the girls who pick for mixed bouquets come through and they pick a little bit less discriminately for um, mixed bouquets. And I think that also helps people understand why when you go to a florist, a bouquet of the same size that the one in the grocery store is going to be three or four times as much because the quality of the flowers is different. And I think that people have a really hard time valuing flowers, but they can go to a farmer's market and maybe their bouquet will last a week, but it is blooming and beautiful at the time of, whereas if a flower shop, they get our flowers and maybe the end client won't buy them for four or five days and they still expect it to last a week after they've purchased it. So the fact that we are able to kind of divide each crop in these various qualities um, makes us able to take advantage of each crop a lot more than I think would otherwise be possible if we were a farm who only did mixed bouquets or who only sold to flower shops. Yeah. It's nice that you have those multiple channels and um, it's almost like a good, better, best model, I guess, or I don't know if that's fair, but. Yeah, no, I mean, it absolutely is. And when you're selling to a flower shop, each stem must have the same value. Whereas when you're making a mixed bouquet, the mixed bouquet has some value. So maybe, you know, you'll throw three sunflowers in that are smaller, whereas a flower shop only wants the, you know, single stems that are the larger and the value is equivalent to those three smaller stems, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm. that's. And then there's people like Jack Lily Floral who come in behind <laughs> all the rest of us and pick the dead stuff because she's doing some weird installation someplace. <laughs> I'm always picking the curvy stems and the weird heads and the dead things. And <laughs> yeah, tell me, I want to hear a little bit about how you work, uh, Isabella. Like you obviously... You already mentioned that you really care about the personal connection and the word of mouth, but um, what kind of, what's the scope and range of what you're doing now? Because I know you're not just doing personals. Yeah. So this, this year I kind of went a little bit more full bore into the full wedding design um, as far as how I initially started marketing myself and, you know, getting the word out to event planners and, and such. Um So when I, but I still do, I would say two thirds of my weddings are pickup, um, just personals or, you know, arrangements that can be transported, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then one third is, is full design. And you, um, you, you have the name seasonal in your business name. That is very intentional. And I'm just curious how I read the language on your website. I think it's really clear, but how does that conversation go with people who reach out to you? Um, do you have 
are they like pre-selected to, to buy into this idea of seasonal or do you have to kind of bring them along a little bit? Um, it depends. I think when I get people who contact me who are at the kind of the fringes of the season, that's when it becomes more, um, the conversation becomes a little bit more extensive. So if someone contacts me and they're getting married in April or the beginning of May, um, I do have to be much more clear about the fact that that's the beginning of our season. There's not much diversity, but what we have is really beautiful. However, you know, the aesthetic that you are describing or showing me is maybe not something that I can do. And I can tell you what I can do, but if that's not going to make you happy, I'm again, more than willing to pass you on to someone Mm -hmm. who can. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of those fringe times that become more important or, you know, I will not take a wedding after mid-October because I know that that is dangerous for me. I'm um, just going to ask you what you would do with a dead of winter wedding because it would be all the dead <laughs> stuff. And it would be gorgeous. Um, it would be so gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. If it was a very special client who was excited about that, I would <laughs> totally do it. But mostly I say, sorry, uh, I will be on my masonry duty then. <laughs> Oh, that's your other, that's your other profession. You, you work with your husband doing Mason, masonry work, right? I, um, periodically join him on his masonry projects and he joins me on my floral projects. Like this past weekend, he was (laughs) a star assistant. Uh, I love it. I love your artisanal life. It's great. Um, well, just I back up because you asked the question, how does, Isabella get clients? Yes. Yes, mom. Give us the scoop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I often am contacted by people who say, I came across your website. I'm getting married in three weeks time. I'm um, looking looking for flowers. And then I have this whole little questionnaire that I can send them, but I first feel it out, you know, and I, and my questions are, um, uh, we're seasonal growers. We're not a warehouse. Um, so what we have is what we have. Would you like to tell me a little bit about uh, what is there a particular flower that you're looking for? Because I may or I may not have it. And what's your color palette? And will you be making all your own flower arrangements with the help of friends and family? Or any? is there any part of your wedding that you wish you had help? with. Mm -hmm. And this is where I have to word carefully because again, my main customers are the florists. Sure. And and so I leave it very vaguely of we have very, very good florists in our area. Um, They're all listed on my website. You can quote unquote interview them by looking at their websites. And this is where I totally encourage flower shops to make websites that are not canned FTD websites. Right. Um, show who you are and what you can do and have a little portfolio on your website. And and I say to this potential client, it's going to be easy for you. You just go through all those websites. If there's any that you like, you're interviewing them that you have to like it. Okay. If you eliminate the flower shops that I also have a big listing of designers and you can look at their style okay so i do have jack lily at the very top of the list i did did notice that that's so awesome (laughs) but you know deborah it's because she's my best client yeah yeah she is my best client because she buys 90 percent of 95 percent of her flowers from our farm so in real numbers 
that's the fairest thing to do. I've always put my top designer, my top clients at the top of the list. The florists are listed by their geographic area, but the designers have always been listed by who's my biggest mm, client. Mm-hmm. I have to support that. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to the potential buyer to make a choice. And not everyone's going to love Jack Lily. Then you go to the next one on the list. Sure, you know? sure. Um, but a lot will bite. And then if I need to give a little extra nudge, <laughs> then I say, look, the the one thing I will say that is great about hiring a designer who works with seasonal flowers is if you're getting your bulk flowers from us or from any other local farm, your wedding will be all of a piece. It'll mm-hmm. be it'll there'll be a synchronicity mm-hmm. between your um, de- decorative flowers and your personal flowers. Yeah. But it's your decision. And the wonderful thing is, is we're at a time when there is no recipe. It's, it's so open to people's choices, tastes, interpretations. And, you know, not everybody loves buying from a flower farm and they don't have to. Right. And there's not, not there's a- not just a single, I don't know, hot, trendy look right now. There's no. just so it's, it's, it's every it's kind of genre. Open. Yeah. It's wide open. And Back to being a business person, however, I have to push for my own farm. Yeah. And the buy local movement did so much. It put into words what I had always felt. And the slow flower movement, your movement, put into words what I've always felt. And and I'm eternally grateful because you have validated what was in the back of my mind. Well, I just came along and was grateful for your in, your willingness to educate me and include me. And we didn't even say, you know, how how excited I was that uh, La Mera Gardens and Joan Thorndike are featured in the 50 Mile Bouquet. So, I mean, we go back a ways, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> we do. <laughs> well, um, I, I know we're kind of running out of time, but I want to end by talking a little bit about this amazing project that you just collaborated on for American Flowers Week. And I haven't really had a chance to give this any attention, but I'm working on a big wrap-up article uh, that I'll post about all the cool activities of American Flowers Week. But I don't... What happened? You guys decided to... I mean, Isabella, you <laughs> did like a three-dimensional installation. And then, Joan, you just did all this great branding with our... American Flowers Week um, label. So I guess you kind of did two things, right? You each took your own your own ownership of, of promoting American Flowers Week. Well, this is just channeling Deborah Prinzen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Deborah says we do this. Okay, I <laughs> you want me to jump. <laughs> and oh, I'm Joan, sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. It's so it. wonderful, Deborah, because again, as I say, you have um, made this into a movement. You've made it real. You've given it credentials. One thing is being a lone farmer down here trying to create a movement. And, and a whole different thing is you making it valid and running with it and doing exactly what I wanted, which is that it be a nationwide, that it become a culture, that it be a cultural shift. Mm. And uh, going way, way back, I wanted Americans to love flowers the way we do in South America, the way Europeans do. And I think that the U.S. has far bypassed both 
those continents. Wow. That's yes. cool. Well, I think when I go to Chile now, um, there's still a culture of flowers. There's still corner stands that sell just straight bunches of flowers. They, they're still there. But when I go into people's homes, I don't see flowers as often as I do here. Hmm. Fresh flowers are in people's homes now. Yeah, that's cool. And I think across the country, I remember going to do a wedding for, or just a, a young friend of ours was getting married at Yosemite, and and he asked me if I would bring flowers from the farm and do their flowers. And at the time, I couldn't cross the U.S. I mean, excuse me, the California border with flowers grown in Oregon, and I didn't know about phytosanitary mm. certification, which mm-hmm. I, I, you know, now we have all that. Right. But at the time, I didn't. So I said, well, no problem. We're going to California. That's like a country that grows flowers. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we pulled into a flower shop in a pretty big town on the way to Yosemite. And <laughs> the girls came with me into the flower shop, and Dan waited in the car. And then Camila went running back to the car, and she said to Dan, Mommy's furious. She's so mad. She's going all colors in there because apparently they only have larkspur. <laughs> but it, you know that's it was a a desert. Yeah, the flower. It yeah. was a desert of flowers. So you that's did it. Funny. That's and true. The American flower movement. I at first I confess I had a bit of a problem with the name because I I like patriotism to a point. And I was sensitive to the term American grown being, it had sort of an aggressive taste, to, just to me. This yeah. is all very, very personal. Yeah. Um, so I have to get over that and find the beauty in that. And, and what that to me means, so that I can jump on board with it, is now that you people of this country, uh, that includes me, recognize and are learning to love flowers, now you have a next choice. And the choice is seasonal, because really, American grown, to a large degree, is seasonal. And then there's all the really big farms that are growing incredible flowers Right. right here. And then how do you make that next step to educate? Did you know? Did you know that Milano's grow amazing flowers in California year round? Did you know that you, Mr. or Mrs. Flores, don't have to import sweet peas from Holland because they're right here? Right. Um, And that's the next education step, which you have taken on. And I I think you're inspiring farmers. I'm not sure that we're there yet. That I feel it's a long road to educate the public, but you're inspiring those of us on the ground. I think you're right, Joan. I think, you know, we want the demand from consumers to be pushing the shift in the marketplace, but that's happening in so many tiny pockets, but not on a macro level yet. I really think it is the the farmers and the pioneering florists who are their customers who are are kind of raising the awareness. And the consumer, if, if there's a highly educated and sort of informed consumer, that's special. But that's not the, the common, that's not been my common experience. And I'm sure you guys have seen that. Even though you both live where there's like a heightened awareness of local in all things, in the Rogue Valley, right? Yes, yeah. yes. But we're going to get there, Deborah, because yeah. you keep pushing it. 
And we're going to keep using those same words over and over at a certain time of year. And, right. And that's how you develop a, a, a habit. Yeah. And, and the American Flowers Week, um, you know, really was inspired by my friends in the UK and British Flowers Week. And I, and I know that that market is so different than the North America or all of the US. Um, mm-hmm. I maybe didn't quite see how, ex- you know, the UK is basically one market. And here right. in the US, we have, you know, 50 markets for 50 states. It's a completely different uh, scenario with dealing, you know, with season or well, geographical changes and in, in the media and all of that. So, you know, it's and, a li- little ambitious, <laughs> but huge availability. I right. mean, the British can go, they, they can do British grown because it's a smaller country. It, it doesn't, right. It doesn't move goods around the way the U S does. Yes, exactly. They, they maybe have, you know, a one, like I always think of London as like a national media market, whereas we don't have that. Um, well, li- I remember Deborah when you were talking to Joseph and asking him about British flowers, and yeah, we have the farms at a certain scale that large designers could do American grown, whereas in Britain, large scale designers can't really. They can't get enough. There's not enough agricultural land in right. the UK. Right. That's so true. I mean, he, he works with a couple, he, he said in his, that our podcast interview with Joseph Massey, I, you probably remember this, he works with a couple tiny farms, but it's not, right. they can't supply his over the top installations. Right. Um, but you just did an over the top installation and I want to, I want to oh. talk about this and then maybe share photos and we'll, we'll kind of wrap up on this because we've already had a nice long hour long chat and this is a, like a bonus interview. <laughs> I could go on for another <laughs> hour. Um, I basically threw out this challenge to members of Soul Flowers saying, hey, do something really unique to your market to celebrate American Flowers Week. I had no idea you were going to do this, Isabella. So describe what you created and it, and what inspired it. It was, it, it was so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, as with most of my projects, it was inspired by the spur of the moment and what was at hand. Um, which is a bit of my design aesthetic, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, So Fry Family Farm opened a farm store in Medford two years ago-ish. And it's a great, beautiful venue, really lovely light, and has a customer base of people who come to buy flowers and vegetables and other local products that they carry there. And so it seemed like the perfect location to be able to do do a project. Um, and through the stickers for the Ameri- American Grown Flowers Week that my mom had gotten for the bouquets that week, the farm store was also throwing out promotional um, things. So all of the bouquets were at the store that week, had the stickers on them, and anyone who bought flowers also got a free sunflower. So there oh, was also, fun. Yeah, I didn't know, know that. An attempt at hype going on there. And so... <laughs> Um, basically there's a plant rack that usually hangs horizontally that has hanging ferns and stuff on it. And we dropped it so that it was more of a picture frame. So kind of cut the cords on two sides and it hung vertically. And then I used, you know, our no floral foam favorite 
chicken wire and wrapped that existing rack in chicken wire. And by I, I should say Jem did it because he's my number <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> um, and that week as we were harvesting, we were all kind of throwing things into the back of my truck that would be dryable. So status latifolia, status sinuata, larkspur, Russian status, and, you know, my mobium, straw flower, echinacea pods, all kinds of things. Basically anything that we could think of and that would stay looking similar, fresh or dried. Mm-hmm. And I was picking extra, you know, we were all doing our normal harvests and just kind of picking extra of things like that to throw into the truck. And, you know, the the girls who do the mixed bouquets were doing the same thing. You know, the Russian status was going by. So we literally just walked through and locked huge wads of it and stuffed the truck full. And I kind of went not knowing what was going to come out and had, you know, I think that the American grown flowers week is trying to create a brand. And so I kind of had that in my mind. Yeah. And, oh, I, and it's, I, a, it's American flowers week. I just want to mention right. that. Yeah. Not grown. American yeah. flowers. Week. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and so I kind of, it was inspired by, by that and also by promoting our farm store. And so I kind of threw our logo into it. Um, the Fry family farm has a barn logo. So I decided to put that on there because if anyone took pictures, then that would kind of get out there. And then I went a little bit free flow, (laughs) so whatever the materials were going to provide, so you kind of uh, you kind of painted. I mean, this thing was what like four by six or four by eight feet in size, yeah. like a big frame. About that, actually, yeah. let's see. It, yeah, uh huh. It is about four by six. I actually on when I looked at it online, I thought it was like a like a chain link fence style gate. Um, <laughs> but you said you've wrapped it in chicken wire to create the kind of holes to put in, insert yeah. the flowers in. Mm-hmm. But you can picture kind of that that look and you used it as a canvas and then used all these botanicals to create the recreate the the Fry family farm barn logo is that kind of what you did yeah, but then also ended up I was determined to go in not making a picture and I totally made a picture which um is abstractly a bit of a flower farm scene so I took different crops and I made rows coming out from the barn um and it has a sky and it has stars of bachelor buttons in the sky and it's stunning uh, it was a little bit of an accident um and I was planning on kind of trying to make the back look more organized but I ended up leaving it because it was hilarious to me how many stems were sticking out the back and just how much material went into it and I thought that it looked pretty neat from the back too so I can a photo with you. It, yeah, I'm looking at the one on your uh, Jack Lily Floral Instagram page right now, and I love that you did a little slideshow showing how you were up on a stepladder, and then you a detail of of inserting these status and straw flowers into the into the chicken wire. Now I see it is chicken wire, and then the finished product is amazing. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I want a poster of it. It's just so great. Um, and did it stimulate a lot of conversations when people came into the store? Like, what is this, and why are you doing it? I, as I was making it, um, people were definitely coming in and looking kind of cockeyed and what, what exactly are you doing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, the lovely woman who works in the store would say, well, we're, we're celebrating American flowers week and these are all of our farm flowers. And, 
you know, people would come over and check it out. And then I don't spend much time at the store usually. So I, I don't know what much of the reaction was like, but the, the women who do work in the store did say that, you know, people were very interested. And I do know that people who saw my Instagram, several of them told me, oh, we went to the store to see your installation. And I know that when they went, they bought flowers and vegetables. And that was kind of my goal was to bring people to the store as well to see the local products that we had there. I love it. I love it. So were you channeling a little bit of Joseph Massey when you did that after (laughs) (laughs) working on it? Please say you were. Yes, he wants to know that. Of course, always channeling Joseph. <laughs> I mean, forever your life will be changed from that experience of being his assistant. <laughs> well, ladies, ladies, this has been so awesome. I love you both, and I wish I could be with you, but I'm glad we at least could do this over Skype. Um, before we wrap up, anything I didn't ask you that you want to uh, make sure we include in this uh, celebratory conversation? I have something to say. Um, because this is a mother-daughter conversation. Yes, yes. When Isabella told me that she was going to do a floral studio and that she was going to brand her own business, um, I would ask, so what are you going to call it? And, you know, then she was very cagey about it. And and I could see she and Jem were poring over a computer for many days and Mm. weeks. Mm -hmm. And... Then and she would say, "No, no, there's, we're not telling you yet. It's just going to be a big reveal." <laughs> <laughs> and in the meantime, she had gotten a very good friend of hers who lives in Colorado, uh, Austin, Texas. Oh, in Austin, not Colorado at all, <laughs> to do her logo, which I think is very beautiful. Oh, I love it. It's like and, watercolor. I, yes, and but I'm still getting not getting to the name. <laughs> and then finally, one day I walked into the house. She said, OK, I'm ready. I'm going to show you. And Jack is the name of my father and Lily is the name of my mother. Mm. Mm. And so mm. continuing the family tradition, mm. she named it after her grandparents. Oh, I love that. I didn't know that. You know, I thought it was some kind of like Oregon wildflower that I just didn't know about. Like there was People some... People always say, so what exactly is a Jack Lily? I've never <laughs> heard of one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you'll have to discover it, but I love that it's is a, the the family legacy. That's really wonderful because your mother was a flower. I mean, she introduced yes. you to, to gardening, right, Joan? Yes, yes. She very was much a so. huge inspiration. Yeah, she always had lots of flowers in her house and had a, a patio that you could barely walk through because it was stuffed with with plants growing on the the top story of an apartment building in Santiago. And wow. she was very much an inspiration. Wow. That's so cool. I love that. I, I love that you've just carved out your own place in the floral industry, um, Isabella, that's like 100% authentic to you. And I love that Joan has inspired you to do that and that your mom has always been true to herself and that there's a place for you to coexist and, and co-collaborate and work together, but also kind of have your own your own role in this, um, this beautiful industry that we're in. So it's a great example for other people to consider. I just, it makes me happy. Thank you. And <laughs> Thank I you, think, Deborah. you know, I, I think my, my mom is obviously the most supportive of me, but it also is important for me because I do work at the farm that I don't want to step on anyone's 
toes and all of our other clients are extremely important to me as well. Right, so right, right. I, it is a delicate dance, but it but, is a delicate dance and I'm I'm happy to dance it though and make myself as weird as possible <laughs> so that lots of clients go elsewhere <laughs> and support our other our other clients as well. Uh, I love it. Yeah. That share the love. <laughs> Exactly. Well, listen, we're going to um, uh, have uh, lots of photos to share on our show notes and um, links to your social places so people can check you out and um, get to know you. And you both um, have active Instagram feeds, so it's fun to take a peek and see what you're doing on a daily basis. So um, this is just my my way to introduce you to uh, the larger Slow Flowers podcast community. And I'm so glad we can do it on kind of the occasion of the fifth anniversary and kind of make a little bit of a party out of it. And seeing uh, <laughs> Deborah, wow. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing, Joan, that we were like walking down that trail, you know, yes. for maybe 15 minutes recording just a little clip. And I, I say in my, I already recorded the intro to this. I looked up how many people listened to this, that our first episode, it was 380. Oh my gosh, that many? Well, well, over time, over time, people go back and find like the first episode, but we're getting like over 2000 people listening to every episode now. So it kind of is a nice measure of how, how the awareness has changed um, among people looking for content of conversations with farmers and florists. So, um, you know, pretty fun to watch that growth over five years and uh you know i'm not running out i I have not run out of people to talk to so that's that's (laughs) isn't that just extraordinary and isabella listens to all your podcasts while she's picking i do they're great company how do you do do that isabella without clipping your cord i mean you gotta oh well i i get it caught on things all the time Um, but I tuck it into my, to my shirt. Oh, that's, that's smart. <laughs> For all you farmers out there who are trying to listen with headphones, <laughs> you run, have to zip it in. Run it up your t-shirt. That's funny. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, thank you both so much. You've just made me, made me so happy to, to be part of this and, um, and maybe we'll have a reunion interview in, in our 10 year anniversary and see where we all are. That, that's even hard, impossible to fathom, but we'll you'll have to come here, Deborah. Yes, so I will. Yeah. We'll, there you. And right. you'll have to bring Bruce. He's going to have to find some kind of client or no, something. Yeah. I, I think we need to <laughs> entice him with cycling in Southern Oregon or something. Like yes, that. please yeah. do. So don't wait five years for that. Okay. That sounds good. It's a, it's a, it's a date. Thank you both so much. Oh, it's been good. wonderful. Thank you, Deborah. I love you. Love Bye. you too. Bye-bye. much for joining me today. I've been working closely with a core team of advisors to fine tune our branding and messaging. So let me share the updated Slow Flowers mission. It is to change the flower sourcing practices of consumers and professionals through outreach and education that highlights the benefits of local, seasonal, and domestic floral agriculture. And here is our brand promise, inspiring the floral industry and its consumers to embrace local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers. I hope both of these statements resonate with you. You'll be seeing and hearing more about the maturing of the Slow Flowers brand, mission, and movement in the coming months. This is an ever-evolving exercise as I gain clarity about my personal calling and about what drives me to continue building this movement. I'm grateful to all of you, our entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. 
As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right uh, at DebraPrinzing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 340,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all our programs. They are Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farmers and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. And we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at Mayesh.com. Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American Grown Flowers on the table one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Special thanks to Stephen Yowsey. Thank you.